Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse 14 and go through verse 32 today. Again, that's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 32. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find it in the Pew Bible on page 1004. And if you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that Pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you. We believe in the power of God's Word and want you to have it in your hand. Again, that's page 1004 in the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 is where we will begin. And in God's Word, it reads, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and Scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it, ha- and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Honesty is the best policy. Chances are the first time we ever heard that spoken to us is the first time we were caught in a lie in which a parent, a teacher, a guardian, someone came to us and said, honesty is the best policy. The consequences are not nearly as harsh if you're honest, 
but if I catch you lying, they are more severe, right? It, it goes something like that. Uh, it seems to be the conversation I've had with my kids, that honesty is the best policy. And, and we know that in relationships, honesty is the best policy in relationships. Transparency is key to healthy relationships, to building those up and being able to communicate and, and not have defensive walls and systems to go through. But honesty and transparency, it, it, and we've been taught this. We, we know this. Our, our parents teach it to us. We teach it to others. Honesty is the best policy. Yet still... When, when someone is publicly honest and transparent with everything, we uh, applaud them for their bravery and courage. And, and, and it just astounds me that we do that because we know honesty and transparency, they're, they're the best way to go forward in all interactions in life. And yet when someone does it and we applaud them for their bravery and courage, it makes me wonder, well, why is it that we do such a thing? Well, it's because with honesty and transparency comes vulnerability. It comes the letting down of the walls and the self-defense system we have in which we are trying to preserve ourselves from critique and from harm and from pain. And so we're vulnerable. We, we kind of just put everything out there for everyone to know. And so we realize when someone's honest and they're transparent, it's a courageous thing because they are being vulnerable. They're, they're opening themselves up in a way that often we associate with pain. But oftentimes, we've also associated vulnerability with a weakness. But the opposite is true. That with vulnerability, that with this honesty and transparency, there's great strength that comes with that. And in our scripture today, we, we see this father with his son just be completely honest with Jesus. Now, as we go into this scripture here in uh, in Mark, the whole ninth chapter, it holds within it, it holds uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. We talked about this last week in the, in, the, in the glory cloud of the Lord and the bright face of Jesus that's there. And, and then immediately they come down from this mountain, we're told. They're coming down from the mountain and they see the other disciples. So it's Jesus and James and John and Peter, and they see everyone down there. There's a crowd around them and there's arguing with the scribes. Now, there's a beautiful painting out there that depicts just this. And it's by a Renaissance painter named Raphael. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan. And so Raphael, to me, as a kid, was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, just as all the other Renaissance artists were, Leonardo and Michelangelo and Donatello. And, and here's Raphael. Raphael, uh, one of the Renaissance painters in the 15th and 16th century, he was commissioned by the Catholic Church to, to paint the transfiguration behind the altar. So behind the communion table in this French, uh, in this French church, he paints this. And, and it's Raphael's last work. In fact, he finishes it 
and then he passes. It leads to his very death, and it's called the Transfiguration. Now, this painting is uh, amazing on all counts. It's amazing in the way that it captures the very ninth chapter of Mark, but it's also amazing in the very artistry and, and composition that it uses. So it's studied by both faith and, and in the secular art world on, on how it's painted. So at the, at the top of the painting, in the background of the painting, you have the transfiguration of Jesus. You have Jesus shining in all of his glory at the top of the mountain, and Moses and Elijah beside him, and then underneath him are, are James and John and Peter, as if they're waking from a slumber because they went up to pray with Jesus, and Jesus prays forever, and they fell asleep, and they're waking up to see the very glory of the Lord. And then as, as you travel down the mountain and into the foreground of, of the painting, it gets dark and shadowy. And it's filled with other people in this. You have the scribes and the crowd and the disciples. And there's the father and his son who is possessed. It, and it shows that the mountaintop experience wasn't indicative of what was going on down in the world. We don't live on top of the mountain. We live down in the valley, for the valleys are long and the peaks are short. And we live down in the world that's been corrupted by sin. That's, that's where we get the darkness from in that painting. The shadow, shadowiness of that painting, it represents that. And there, in that scene in the foreground, it's the scripture we just had. It's the interaction of the crowd and arguing with scribes and, and disciples failing at casting out a demon and, and a boy seized by demons, father pleading for help. And so Jesus is asking what's going on and the father talks to Jesus about his son's condition and the disciples' failed attempt at exercising that demon. And then in Scripture, it tells us that he says this to Jesus. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, as if Jesus is taking it back, that he's even being questioned on his ability if he can even do anything in this situation. If you can, and he says, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And it's right there in this very moment between this Father and Jesus, that the Father reveals true honesty and transparency and becomes completely vulnerable before Jesus, the King of kings, the Prince of princes, the Lord of lords, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe, help my unbelief. It's a really powerful statement, one that he makes with complete honesty before Jesus. You see, we grow up learning that, that, true, that, that strength is more like a rock 
that it's solid and unmovable and can't be penetrated. But strength comes in the honesty and the vulnerable moments, in our weakness. He's strong. See, that's what the scriptures teach, that true strength comes from God. It's, it's what we sing to our kids from when they're tiny. For they are weak, but he is strong. We teach that from the beginning, that in our weakness, God is strong. In our weakness, he provides the strength. For Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not I can do all things on my own and ask God to bless it later. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, we can't do this on our own and we have to even ask for help. And this man before Christ is pleading for his son to have the demon cast out. And, he, and Jesus says, just believe. And he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right? He believes that Jesus can perform a miracle. He believes that Jesus can heal his son. He believes that Jesus can excise this demon from his son, but he struggles. He admits that he doesn't necessarily always believe that Jesus can do actually anything. I believe, but help my unbelief. See, we believe in Jesus. We do. It's why we're here. It's, it's what leads us into worship. It's what leads us into praise. It's what leads us when we see the amazing creation around us to take a moment and just say, thank you, God, for how great and awesome you are. Yet, oftentimes, by the very way and manner in which we live, we still have some unbelief, just like this father. Maybe it comes out in, in ways that we don't believe Jesus still does miracles in this life. Maybe it's that we don't believe that God is really interested in the details of our day-to-day -day life. That it's just too mundane and, 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 and too much of the muck for it to involve him. And we, we only want to talk big picture things with God. Or maybe our unbelief manifests in the way that, in how we make our decisions, that we just go ahead and plow through life making decisions on our own without ever consulting God and then asking for the blessing on that decision afterwards. I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. There's many ways that this plays out in our lives and in this scripture hear this man be so honest, so raw and real with Jesus. We try and hide it. We even have a defense wall again, put up between us and God. We don't want to let him all the way in. Well, if he knew, he does know, eh? but if he knew what I really did, or if anyone else found out my sins, my past, preacher, you don't 
You don't know. I'm telling you, God already knows. He knows every hair on your head. He's the one who numbered them. He knows all about you. He knows your heart. But it, this is a relationship with the Father. You can trust him. He's not coming with condemnation or judgment. Jesus says that's not what he came for. But he came so that we might be redeemed to our Father, reconciled to him so there's no more barriers between us, so that we can come and bear our soul with honesty and transparency because God knows it and not be afraid of condemnation. But we receive grace day after day. We receive grace. As it says in Psalm 23, we receive grace. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue us all the days of our life. Here is this father, just, I believe, but help my unbelief. And through this interaction in this scripture, Jesus really points us to the way of following him as we walk through the long valleys. As we follow him until he calls us home. We hear it. He, he gives us clues. In verse 19, after hearing of what's going on and about the argument, he says, Oh, faithless generation. And then he tells the dad in verse 23, All things are possible for one who believes. And in verse 29, when the disciples get him privately inside the house afterwards, and they're asking, Why could we not cast out the demon? And he says, This kind cannot be driven out. By anything but prayer. So Jesus tells us here. Faith and prayer. That's the walk with Jesus. It's faith and prayer. I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief. And Jesus encourages us in faith and in prayer. And he will work with our unbelief. We will grow to trust him in all things, the little things, the details, the big things, the decisions we never consulted him before. And even when we lose our keys, for he is the God of lost things. And when you lose those keys, just start praying. You laugh. God deeply cares about you. And so faith and prayer. For we don't live on top of the mountain with Jesus transfigured, that's not how we spend our life. We spend it in the long valleys and in the shadows. And our only hope, our only hope in life and in death is that we are not our own, but we belong both body and soul to God Almighty through Jesus Christ. That is our hope. He is the only one we can trust. For in our weakness, he is strong. We couldn't save ourselves. Rather, we just continued on sinning. We wouldn't even consider God if he, did not, if he was not mindful of us first. That we only love, the word of God says, because he first loved us. He is our hope. So we can be honest. We can be real with him about the struggles. Whether it's unbelief. 
or our sin, you can be real with him and honest because he loves you and he cares for you. And he will work all things for good. Now there's one other person in this painting that Raphael put in there. So in this painting of the transfiguration, there's one person down in the shadowy area. In the midst of all of the arguments. And he gives the clue for all of us. For everyone in that painting, he's cluing them in. For us looking at the painting. For he has his hands raised and his finger pointed up to Jesus. For he is the light of the world. And it's his love that brings us along. Amen.